Shalom, and welcome again to another edition of Secrets of Meaning, the podcast TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. Welcome. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. We are very, very delighted that you're joining us today with a what promised to be a very exciting and interesting and frontier look into our future. Uh, these podcasts, all you know, are designed to talk about issues related to the longevity revolution, the impact of that revolution on ourselves, our communities, and our families. If you'd like to get in touch with me, please email me at rabbiaddress at jewishsacredaging.com, and we appreciate your support. If you'd like to make a donation, tax-free donation to help support our work, please go to the website, jewishsacredaging.com, and go to the conveniently located Donate button and just follow the prompts. It's really, really easy, and we appreciate it. So I've been really looking forward to today's um, podcast and TV show, and we are delighted to welcome uh, from Eretz Yisrael and from the beautiful seaside city of Tel Aviv, uh, Karen Etkin, gerontologist and the founder and director of Age Lab IL at Shanker and the author of a very, very, very exciting uh, book, The Age Tech Revolution, a book about the intersection of technology and aging. And that's what we're going to explore um, for the next couple of moments. Karen. Welcome. Welcome to Secrets of Meaning. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me here, Richard. It's a pleasure. Oh, it's our pleasure. How is life in Tel Aviv today? The ocean, the beach, everybody happy? Everybody happy. Everybody's tanned already, even though it's just mid-June. So life is good. Life is good. The age tech revolution. This is a peek into what I think really is our future. And that's really what I want to talk about with you. Um, you write in the beginning of this book, and I do recommend this book to people who are in, in any way interested in what's going to be coming down the pike authority on the road here. You write in this book, I will explain why developing technology to tackle the challenges of aging is the single most important opportunity of the next decade. Okay, Karen, what does that mean? So as I'm sure most of the people listening and watching this already know we are uh, our society basically is going through this unprecedented demographic shift we've never had so many people reach old age in good health right and this goes hand in hand with an unprecedented the technological or digital transformation that our society is going through and the intersection of these two trends at this particular moment in time is a huge challenge, but also a huge opportunity. And that's what the book is all about. So you write uh, somewhere about a third of the way through um, about this, this, this transitional pivotal point, point moment in, in the growth. And you have some statistics there that are that are all over the world right now, especially in the United States, where we're being told by within the next decade, the, Numbers of people over 65 will be greater than the numbers of people under or of teenagers and lower the first time in the United States history. And um, we've talked a little bit about this in the classes that I teach on caregiving stuff and also on other podcasts about this shift, especially in the United States healthcare system. But you talk about this uh, fourth industrial revolution. What does that mean? What's the fourth so industrial revolution? So the fourth industrial revolution is this digital transformation that we are currently all going through and feeling it in our day-to-day -day lives. So, so much of our lives uh, has 
become digital in the past few years and even more so during the past two years because of covid right mm -hmm. since march of 2020 the window became that the computer screen or the tablet whatever became the window to our world uh for for like almost two years and on top of that so many uh services and interactions that used to be in person have gone digital so banking online classes even fitness classes today are online and within our families the whole family conversation in some families is digital and so if we're not making a purposeful effort to make sure everyone is included in this revolution including people who aren't necessarily digital natives we might be leaving people behind so in my family we see a, an example of it and whatsapp for example is a is a messaging app that's very popular here in israel so we have a family whatsapp and i have one grandmother who owns a smartphone and, and taught herself how to use it so she's part of the family conversation and one grandmother who doesn't own a smartphone or a computer she doesn't want to she doesn't want to learn how to use these devices and this means that despite our best efforts we can't include her in the digital digital family conversation so it's not on purpose that anyone is excluded it's just uh because technology is changing so fast and not everyone is able to adapt or can afford to adapt because technology is expensive so if we're not really um thinking about everyone we might be leaving people behind you know, you, you open the door here to this idea of community. I mean, the digital revolution is hitting, <laughs> obviously, because of COVID. Um, worship, worship services, synagogue, all over the world. And that's not going to go away. That's, that's, that's for the future. That's synagogues who fail to adapt will be out of business within a generation if it takes that long. Um, so I, I, we get this conversation a lot, you know, oh, digital services are fine, Zoom services, but it lacks community. You know, where is the community? And yet people of a certain generation, a little bit younger than me, basically say, well, we're just redefining community. Um, talk to me about your, your particular position on this. Is, is, do we have to redefine what community needs means now? This is a great question, Richard, and I'm actually interested in hearing your thoughts on this uh, um, after the past two years. So I, I feel like, yes, it's true that some aspects of our community or some past communities have faded away uh, because of technology. However, new communities are being established and created as we speak, right? So online communities are able to connect people from different geographies. And in fact, we see many examples uh, over the past 20 years of people meeting online and forming communities that never could have been created if it wasn't for the internet, if it wasn't for computers. And I agree that there is that meeting people for a conversation or for, for a book club for, or for a joint prayer and having everyone in the same room isn't the same thing as meeting people online. However, we, we have new forms of communication now that, and I don't want to say that they're better, but they're new. There's something new and they enable us to do things that weren't possible in the past. 
So I wonder, like, what's your take on this? No, I, you know, I, I, the more I do this and, uh, because of our work on Jewish sacred Asian, we're doing a lot of teaching the last couple of years, all, you know, all online, the synagogues all over the North America and classes, etc., and meetings, obviously. And I am now convinced that it, in my understanding of Jewish history, the way I was taught and the way I believe, we're just at a different, we're just in a phase of innovation. We're just creating a different definition of what community is. It's neither better or worse. It's just different. As we've always evolved different Judaisms, which is how we've survived, um, which is really how we survived as a people. We've just innovated and adapted to where we are and where the situation is. Well, we're faced with this new things. So I take a look at my grandchildren in their teens and younger. Um, they're, they're very comfortable with this. They're very comfortable with this. I take a look at millennials who are, that's part of their community. It's neither bad or you know good they're comfortable sitting with people they're comfortable in a community online uh that's part of the adaptive process of 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 what's happening now so i'm i'm much more open to this um and i think it's kind of exciting actually uh which is one of the reasons why i wanted to talk to you and why i i was very very interested in this book um did you karen did you have an aha moment what, what was the what was the motivating factor for you to get interested in this? Well, uh, I'm a gerontologist by trade. Right. And for the first half of my career, um, I, I worked in the nonprofit sector in community services for older adults. And while we were doing some really impactful work, and I felt like I had a sense of purpose when I woke up in the morning and went to work, I realized that what we were doing wasn't really scalable. And I'll give you an example. In the one of the last nonprofits that I worked with, we worked with Holocaust survivors. And from time to time, we would um, encounter people who were lonely, right? And they would ask us for volunteers. So they could the volunteers would come visit them once or twice a week, spend an hour or, or two with them with the hopes of making them feeling less lonely and less alone. And while there were a lot of meaningful, really meaningful connections that were formed between volunteers and these Holocaust survivors, I'm not sure that it really made many of them feel less alone or less lonely because they still had five or six days of the week, 20 hours every day, where they when they were all by themselves and so even if we even if we connected a person to seven volunteers each for one day of the week i'm not convinced that we made a, a real significant difference that was measurable i'm sure we made an impact but it wasn't scalable and we had like a limit to them obviously to the number of volunteers that we had that we and the number of people we could and so when I got the, the offer to join Intuition Robotics and build a robot that would bridge the digital divide and connect everyone to this wonderful digital world that we are all a part of and help people communicate with family and friends through digital means that weren't necessarily available to them via a computer or a smartphone or a tablet, I was really, really excited about this opportunity because if we got it right, 
we could potentially help millions of people. And so you started down this robotics road and, and, and the website, uh, before we get, I get to, I, I do want to mention before we get too deep in this, the, 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 you talk about a website as well in the book, uh, the, uh, gerontechnologist.com. What is, what is that? So the Geron Technologist is a media platform that I, I had created it initially while I was working at Intuition Robotics, at Intuition Robotics, because I realized that we, I mean, and I, when I say we, I mean the startup, we were part of this big ecosystem and there were hundreds of startups developing all kinds of technology to tackle the various challenges of aging. And so I initially created it as a platform to just host the annual HTEC market map, which is an annual review of hundreds of really wonderful age tech startups from all over the world. And it sort of, uh, took on a life of its own after, after a couple of months because it got so much, um, traction that I started just not only publishing an annual market map, but also writing about age tech on an ongoing basis. And actually that was what eventually led me to write the book, the age tech revolution, because I felt like, um, I felt compelled to create a single piece of content that people could hold in their hand to really get a, a sense of what HTEC is, why it's important, and why this particular moment in time is the time to, to get into this ecosystem or to be part of this ecosystem. Because I really do believe that this is a huge opportunity and we have a very short time frame to really make an impact and to, and to make a difference and also for people who are in it for business reasons, potentially to uh, to create a successful company. So they, we, we've posted some material on, on, on Jewish Sacred Aging and the Jewish Sacred Aging Facebook page about technology. Uh, you know, right now, a lot of people think, well, maybe telemedicine, I can go to see my doctor on the computer. I don't have to, to get in the car and drive, etc. with the pandemic. Um, but you're really talking about this sense because you, you, you refer to it of robotics. And the little research I did, some of the research I did prior to our conversation, uh, there's this evidently growing and, and, and age, uh, age lab is part of this, um, growing a number of resources, creating robots. Talk to me about this. This is really exciting. Um, the robot. What kind of robots are you creating to help me? Okay. Hopefully maybe 15 years from now, 20 years from now, when I may be by myself, because as you know, and you write about in the book, there's this huge explosion of what is called solo agers, people who are living alone in their own home. We want to age in place or maybe even a facility, but they are alone. And even with a, a partner. I can go get a robot. What is that robot going to do? So the social robotics part of the ecosystem of the HTEC ecosystem is fascinating. And first of all, I want to make sure that we uh, make a clear distinction between service robots and social robots. So service robots are the types of robots that you um, could see in a, in a car factory or uh, I've seen in some places robots making coffee and you could actually, here in San Francisco, you could actually have a robot barista make your coffee. So 
these are ob- robots that are able to manipulate objects in space and they don't necessarily interact with you in any meaningful way other than doing stuff for you. I want one of those and social robots, robots. That's what I, I want. One of those coffee robots. I'm not sure you do, Richard, because that wasn't the best coffee I've had. Okay. <laughs> I gotta tell Go you. Ahead. Anyway, <laughs> the, social, um, the social robots. So, so social robots are robots that are able to interact with humans in a meaningful way. So they come in various shapes or forms. They can come in the form of an animal, like a robotic pet, a cat or a dog. There are multiple companies creating robotic pets for older adults. They can come in the form of a, of a, of a baby seal. They can come in the form of an object like LEQ. So, so LEQ, the robot that I uh, uh, contributed to creating, that was created by Intuition Robotics is an objectoid type of robot. So she doesn't look like a human or an animal. She looks like a lamp, a lamp right? A like, lamp. A, like a like a beautiful IKEA lamp. I I, I invite all of you to Google Eliq. It's spelled E L L I Q, the letter Q, uh, and you can you can see for yourself that that she does look like a stylish IKEA lamp. And so Eliq was able to not only connect people, connect her users with family and friends via messaging, video chat, um, whatever. She was also able to do uh, all sorts of things, obviously, that smart speakers are able to do, but she was also able to initiate interaction with users. Uh, so LEQ, users who have LEQ currently can just ha- have robots sitting at the corner of their living room, like on an end table. And when they enter the room, the robot may decide to interact with them or, or not. She d- she can decide when to initiate interaction based on certain goals and user ha- users' habits and preferences. And if she decides that this particular moment in time is a good time to initiate interaction, she then has to decide what type of interaction is suitable for this particular moment in time with this particular user. So she might decide to just... Um, flash the lights, the LEDs to acknowledge your presence, to show you that she she has noticed that you entered the room and she can decide to ask you if you want to listen to a joke or play a trivia game or listen to some music. So there is a really, there are really a lot of possibilities. And when users spend time with LEQ, specifically during COVID, uh, when people, older adults had to shelter in place for months, it really made a difference in their lives because they had some presence in their home that interacted with them, that acknowledged their their existence. And in in times like these, that's a lot. And on top of that, she can do all sorts of things. So I imagine the program, I mean, I'm fascinated. There's fascinated. Anybody with any sense of humor has to figure out, hmm, you could really program LQ to, like you say, I walk into the room and the robot then decides whether it wants to talk to me or not. <laughs> you know, it's, we don't have the time and I don't know who's listening to this, but it opens up a tremendous amount of possibilities for a great routine. So you have to program this robot. But I, I got to ask this also, Karen, how much is LEQ? What, how much does it cost right now? In other words, you're saying I can go online and order this now. Is that correct? Yes, you can. Um, off the top of my head, 
I don't remember how much it costs, but let me just check on the website. I see that the, the, like the annual subscription is like $30 per month and there is like a few hundred dollars for an upfront, uh, setup fee or something like that. So it's not terribly, terribly expensive, but it, but it is, but it, as you alluded to before, right now, this technology, even the, the, the robotic pets and stuff, it seems to be affordable for a certain social class of people. So there is an economic disparity, right? In, in, but I would imagine that down the road, um, they would become the scale of production could be lowered enough so that if I was running an assisted living facility and I wanted to order a hundred of these to place in every room, that would be doable. I would imagine in the long-term biz- business, quote, business model of the startups, that would be a goal as opposed to just selling them individually to somebody's. Am I wrong here? You know, um, it, it, it makes, it te- definitely makes a lot of sense. And the, the economic disparities are, are an issue that are worth talking about because it's not just when purchasing robots that that's an issue. It's also when getting connectivity. So there was a, a, a research paper that was published about a year ago or a little over a year ago um, by connected the Connected Aging Initiative, which is a collaboration between OATS, Older Adult Technology Services, and the Humana Foundation. And what they found was that 42% of Americans over the age of 65 don't have uh, broadband internet in their right. home. So 42% of older adults in the wealthiest nation in the world don't have basic internet infrastructure, basic 21st century internet infrastructure in their homes. And the reasons for that were either because it wasn't affordable, because on top of cable and phone and groceries and and medication and rent, some people can't afford the additional 50 or $100 a month that internet, high-speed internet costs, or it wasn't available. So even if you can pay for internet it's not necessarily available where you're where you live and that's especially true for people who live in rural areas so before we think of um scaling up production for technologies that are currently priced at hundreds of dollars we first need to handle this connectivity crisis that's not it's not even unique to the united states it's it's similar in many other countries in the world. We first have to make sure that everyone is connected. We first have to really acknowledge the fact that internet, specifically broadband internet, is infrastructure and not an amenity. And once we get everyone connected, then we can move on. Because what what happened uh, during COVID, what we saw when vaccines started rolling out, is that people had to get the vaccine appointment online and they weren't necessarily able to. So you, you allude to the, the, the manufacturing issue. I want to ask you one other issue that, that just triggered when you were talking about this. I remember reading even back to uh, Toffler's book in the good old days, um, Future Shock, which was like the first book that actually started to talk about some of this stuff. And even recently, one of the Tom Friedman books, um, where he talked about the impact of technology and the technological changeover basically every six months. So if I'm 85 years old and I get an Ellie, 
and it's sitting there and we're having a conversation, the, the, the change in the, the technology, the software, which obviously anybody owning a cell phone already knows it every six months or whatever, Apple does a thingy and you have to wait and the downloads, whatever it downloads. How, how do, does each company manage that? And again, if I'm not technologically astute, um, so this robot doesn't become obsolete six months after I buy it. So most of the hardware companies today, like you said, they are able to send you software updates remotely. Remote. And LEQ is no different. Uh, she can be updated over Wi-Fi and it shouldn't require any specific or special action from the users to do it. It can just happen in the background. We're talking again with Karen Etkin, the uh, gerontologist, the founder and director of agelab.il at Shanker, um, coming to us from Tel Aviv. And she's the author of this wonderful book, The Age Tech Revolution, a book about the intersection of technology and aging, about what's going to be happening to us and the opportunities for us in the next uh, decade or more. How is this uh, robotic technological revolution, Karen, going to impact healthcare? So it already is, right? So what's, what's happening in healthcare is that healthcare providers today understand that they have to provide their service through digital means, right? So telehealth suddenly became the new norm during COVID. And we also have multiple sensors that are home sensors that are able to support telehealth. So if you want to see your doctor virtually, you should be able to use home sensors to take your measurement, blood pressure, blood oxygen level, whatever the doctor needs to, to see to really assess your current situation and provide you with the best um, uh, solution for whatever problem you, it is you're experiencing. So there's, there's that aspect, uh, which Again, it, it's not only helpful during COVID, but it, it's also helpful for people who live in remote areas and don't necessarily have access or that even the transportation to get to see their primary care physician on a regular basis, right? They can see them remotely now. And on top of that, what we'll eventually probably see in healthcare is, like, like you said, more robotics and automation entering hospitals or, or nursing homes, right? So. We know that one issue in, uh, in direct care for direct care workers is injuries, right? Because they have to physically um, manage patients and lift patients, and that creates injuries. It's likely that in the foreseeable future, we will see exoskeletons deployed in hospitals and in nursing homes to help humans uh, do the heavy lifting without getting injured. And in fact, these types of exoskeletons are already in use in other industries like agriculture, right? And we also see actually in agriculture, we see robots doing a lot of stuff that humans used to do that they don't have to do anymore. Like even to the extent of uh, picking up, um, not necessarily fruit, but uh, um, herbs or right, whatever, right. Uh, picking them off the ground. So I think it's likely that we'll see robotics and automation enter healthcare. And also enter our homes more and more in, in the next few decades. So we already have robot vacuum cleaners, right? 
millions of people, if not hundreds of millions of people have iRobots or all sorts of robotics mops. So why not have robots handle other aspects of household maintenance? Because we know that one of the challenges when people want to age in place and they want to stay in their home is, is the basic household chores and household maintenance that people aren't able to accomplish safely and easily um, in their later years. So why not automate all of that? Why do we have to have our children or grandchildren come to our homes to change the light bulb? Why not spend those five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever having a conversation? And I'm not even talking about the 20 hours a week on average that family caregivers spend on all sorts of caregiving duties. Um, my, my point is that we can and should delegate some, if not all of the manual labor to machines as soon as we are able to and leave it to the humans to do the things that are uniquely human, like provide companionship and emotional support. And that, in my opinion, that's the only feasible way we can actually tackle the caregiving crisis that, that is already happening. But from what I'm understanding, and even you allude to this in the book, that concept of companionship and um, conversation can also be included in, in, in the programming of one of these robots. Is that correct? Yes, and it's going to take a while. It's probably going to take a while until you and I will be able to have a conversation with a machine that's going to feel as good as talking to a human. And I, I'm not sure that that's what our aim should be. I, I think robots can be great helpers and great facilitators. LEQ is definitely a great facilitator, and she's definitely a, a, a companion of sorts. But I'm not sure that our aim should be to replace humans altogether. That being said, we know that for some humans, they don't have any form of home, human companionship, right? right? They don't have any any connections to other human beings. And while that's unfortunate, um, we haven't been able to solve that. And I, I think there was a research a few years ago that was done in England in which they found that a significant percentage of older British people didn't have uh, a meaningful conversation with another human being for a full week or for a full month. And then they went and uh, they got a minister for loneliness right, in the UK. I'm not sure that that role still exists. Yeah. So this is where we are right now. And until we are able to, to tackle that, if we're able to tackle that with actual human companionship, I, I, I'd say that any form of companionship, whether it's a, it's a, it's a pet or a robotic pet or a social robot is better than none. So, I mean, this is the door of, this is wide open that you're hoping to walk through. And um, if somebody wanted to learn more other than the book, they get inspired by the book. They, they have the, the, the website, gerontechnologist.com. Um, are there other websites, links that you are involved with that you would say, if somebody wants to pursue this more, what would they be? So first of all, I suggest to anyone listening head over to amazon and get yourself a copy of the age tech revolution 
It's available uh, in paperback and it will be a, will be available in hardcover and audiobook later this year. And of course, uh, the German Technologist is a, is a great resource. It's constantly being updated and we also have a mailing list. So if you want to subscribe and get emails, um, with various uh, pieces of information about HTEC, that's one way to go. And I also like to follow uh, other other people that I really look up to in this space. So if you're on social media, I highly recommend following um, people like Mary Furlong or John Warner or Joe Coughlin or uh, following even organizations like the Center for Aging and Brain Health Innovation or AgeWell or, or the AARP Innovation Labs. So those are, I mean, my, my go-to resources. Um, and of course, Laurie Orloff from the Aging and Health Tech Watch, uh, which I'm an absolute fan of. So those are my go-to resources. And we, we should mention too, this, this is being uh, posted in the middle of July, but you're going to be um, keynoting a conference with uh, Jerry Rothkopf, who just did a podcast for us. Uh, he's the head of the Rothkopf Elder Law uh, group here in southern New Jersey and, and in the Philadelphia area. And they have a series of conferences and you're going to be, uh, I think it's in October, I think you said maybe October 20th, uh, keynoting a conference specifically on this. Um, well, your, your, your keynote, obviously. Um, so if somebody wants to get more information on that to tune in, cause it, I think it's going to be online as well, uh, virtual as well as in person, Rothkopf Law. Uh, dot com, I think it is, but you can email us at Jewish Sacred Aging and we can give you the information or the link, uh, because they're starting to send that out. Uh, Karen, before we run out of time, what's the one thing? What's the one thing? If you are standing in front of my generation, aging baby boomers, okay, who may have some concern about all this and my ability to deal with this, What's the one piece of advice you want to give me? So this is a great question. First of all, I would say that there is no um, real reason, in my opinion, to be fearful of technology and of, of innovation. I think that what humanity has shown us is that innovation actually advances humanity. And we, we've seen that. We've seen multiple evidence for that during COVID. So for, for those of you who are, um, early adopters and, and are very well, well versed in technology, more power to you. Keep up the good work. And for people who are feeling like they're slightly lagging behind or they know nothing about technology and they want to learn, I highly recommend, um, checking out, uh, OATS, Older Adults Technology Services, which is, um, an organization that has been providing digital education to older adults for probably the, the past 15 years. And so they've got in-person centers, they've got online programs, and uh, they, they're part of the AARP now. So they are definitely a, a trusted and valuable resource. Karen Etkin, Fedaraba Haslacha. And um, if you get to Philadelphia, let me know if you're coming here. So um, I still think. I will. And you'll let me know when you're coming to Tel Aviv. I, I haven't been there. Well, it was before COVID. So, um, you know, well, who, who knows? But uh, I would like to get back, I, especially Tel Aviv. I haven't been to Tel Aviv in a long time. Uh, it has changed 
very much in the past no, two years. No, I'm sure it has. Listen, thank you very, very much. Good luck with this book. Um, uh, good luck with the conferences. Uh, this is exciting. The work is exciting. Uh, and I'm, I'm very happy for you, the fact that you're doing it. And I wish you nothing but health and joy and success in this. So thank you very much again. And again, the age tech revolution, Amazon, great God, Amazon. I'll have it to you there in less than a day. Thank you so thank much. Thank you, Karen. And to all of you, thank you very much again for joining us on today's edition of Seekers of Meaning, the podcast and TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. And remember, you can um, join us with a donation, a tax-free donation. We appreciate your support. Just go to the website, jewishsacredaging.com, click on the donate button. A reminder that Seekers of Meaning is produced at the Broadcast Center of Lubetkin Media Companies here in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And a shout out as usual to our genius producer, Steve Lubetkin. Again, thank you for joining us. I am your host, Rabbi Richard Address, and I look forward to greeting you again on our next Seekers of Meaning TV show and podcast. And in the meantime, until then, shalom, stay safe, stay healthy, everybody, and be kind.